0: Today from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday
1: Night Live. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. And I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson.
0: Hey, Darren, how you doing?
1: I'm good, I'm good, you know, hanging in there, doing what we can. Uh, summer, is, summer is winding down, John, it's coming to a close. This is, you know, the the boys of summer are gone. As yeah. Uh, they said in that one song.
0: In, in that one song, yes. Yes, they did. And yes. uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited because we have a guest with us today to talk about uh, the movie that we are talking about today. We have uh, my friend, uh, Zaki Hassan, who's a film critic for the San Francisco Chronicle and the co-host of the Movie Film Podcast, one of my favorite uh, movie film podcasts. So welcome, Zaki. Great to have
2: you here. Hey, Hi, Zaki. thanks so much. Hey, how's it going? Cool.
0: So, uh, yeah, uh, Zachy and I have just kind of gotten to know each other online over the last few years, and uh, I've guest starred on a few of his podcasts, so it's fun to have him here on the SNL Nerds. And, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> and,
0: uh, <laughs> you know, the, the movie film podcast, it's one of my favorites, in no small part because you've got such a great theme song. I love your theme
2: song. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> So I have to I have to give a shout out that that theme song is sung by our former co-host Sean Coyle who who wrote it and uh, did the little music and everything and uh, yeah that's it. even though he hasn't he hasn't been part of the show for a while he he remains part of it because uh, you get to hear his voice at the top of every episode oh wow
0: Ooh. I didn't I didn't know that you and Brian had another co-host I, that must have been before my time that's that's
2: yeah uh, when when Going we started archives. I think for the first. Yeah, well, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going uh, too far back, uh, uh, too early, I should say, in our run. But yeah, for the first, I think two, two years, yeah, give or take two and a half years, we had a co-host before he he dropped out uh, amicably. It was just he got too busy. So uh, Brian and I have kept uh, kept the, the candles lit, you know. Yeah,
0: how long cool. is how long has the okay. movie film podcast been going?
2: We just celebrated our tenth anniversary. Uh, wow, at the end of last month. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Darren and I are uh, coming that's... up on
0: four now. So it's, uh, we've we've got a ways yeah, to go. Well, we're you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, right behind you. We're gaining.
2: <laughs> well, I, th- I think, and, and I'm sure you guys can attest to this too, right? I mean, the key to sustaining a long running podcast is you want to have a partner who you enjoy talking to
0: uh yes oh so we're never gonna make it yeah i mean i i hope to get one of those one of these days i mean that's that's the dream
1: ouch (laughs) oh
0: you bastard (laughs) no but i mean yeah it does make a difference when it's somebody that's easy to talk to and you agree in about enough stuff that it it's civil but you disagree about enough to make it interesting and yeah that's that's a good thing to have And and that is something that you and brian have i think so i appreciate that yeah shout out to uh zaki's co-host brian hall um how did you how did you guys hook up anyway
2: so uh i first met brian in uh 1999 fall of 99 i was in the chicago suburbs and i was at uh hoolahan's restaurant with a group of my friends and he happened to be our server (laughs) and and my, my friends and I, we were talking about, uh, at the time I worked for a, a TV station that was part of our community college and we all, we were colleagues there and, uh, he was a movie buff. He's like, Oh, you guys are into movies too. I mean, it was literally like that. You wow. you like movies, I like movies too. And it just so happened that the following week, the next quarter of the, at the uh, of school was going to start. And, uh, I was registered for a film class that he was also registered for. So uh, he was our server. We had a good time. And then the following week, I was like, hey, I remember you from last week. And uh, from then to now, it's been a friendship that I consider one of the most uh, important uh, things in my life, you know? Wow.
0: Well that's wonderful. Real life <laughs> you had a real-life <laughs> meet cute. You had a real-life meet cute. I love that.
2: It it really it's it funny because, because we, we met in fall of 99 and then uh four years later i got married and he was uh you know one of my best men at my wedding so oh wow oh that's great fantastic yeah (laughs) that's so
1: cool zaggy what's your SNL origin story yeah are you like a fan or or a casual fan do you have any favorite
2: cast members favorite eras anything like that well uh, so I, I very distinctly remember the very first episode of SNL I saw was, uh, it was summer of ninety two, so it was during the ninety one ninety two season, and it was hosted by Jason Priestley. Musical guest was Hammer. Mm. <laughs> Is there a
0: more nineties <laughs> booking and a more early nineties booking for SNL than that? I know, right.
1: <laughs> That is the most nineties thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> is is this
0: when he had dropped the MC and he was just Hammer and he was trying to rebrand himself as like the I, more gangster I version? I believe
2: so. I because right, I think by ninety two he had just become Hammer. I think I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, that's I, like when he came out with uh, Too Legit to Quit. He yeah.
2: he performed Too Legit to Quit.
1: Yeah, that was he, one did. Of the songs he
2: did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so this this is like you know Kevin Nealon, Mike Myers. Right. I mean, that was like my that was my golden age of SNL, right? yeah uh, Sandler Spade, Chris Farley, Phil Hartman obviously, uh, Tim Meadows I mean it like it's sort of like that's base one for me uh, and I I've stayed a regular viewer all the way since I mean it, my gosh I, it's I, you know on peacock they have like their SNL channel mm-hmm. where you can just go to it and it'll be playing random sketches and you know just jumps around and and it's really it's they were showing a, a sketch yesterday. Uh, It's, it was a weekend update where Seth Meyers was like brand new. I don't think he was even uh, at the anchor desk at this point. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's, um, uh, he's, he's like making fun of Derek, Derek Jeter. And like, he looks so young and Tina Fey looks so young. And I'm like, I remember watching that live, you know, it's
0: it's so crazy. And that's like 20 odd years ago now.
2: Yeah, and yeah. you know, my my kid my, my kids watch SNL, obviously, and I'm, I used to think about it, I'm like, what is their golden era going to be, right? Is mm-hmm. it, and I'm thinking, like, probably in the last, like, five years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I think probably. it's
0: generally, like, whenever you first start watching it, when you first start falling in love with totally. the show. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I still look back, I started watching during, like, the Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, John Lobitz years. And, yeah. and those are still, like, kind of my ideal cast,
1: in a way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like, I've yeah. been on a bunch of other SNL, like, podcasts, and, like, a lot of the other uh, people on the podcast are, you know, a couple of years younger than me. And to them, like, the golden arrow is the Bill Hader, Sudeikis, Kristen Wiig, Will Forte years. Like, to yeah, them, they're wow. like, oh, no, this, this is when SNL was at its best. Yeah. I was like, wow. 2004. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> and that, crazy. I mean, that's the funny thing, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, they, there have been lulls, I think. I think... I think it's like the '94 cast, which is like generally Mm. thought of as like not particularly great. But I mean, I'm I'm always like, look, I mean, there's ups and downs. SNL is SNL. You're gonna, it's this it's this continuous spigot where you're gonna have comedic geniuses come up. Some some of them you'll be like, who's that person when you think about it ten years later. Um, Yeah. But otherwise, you know, we know the score with SNL at this point. I'm so like. I'm so glad we don't get as many of those Saturday Night Dead headlines anymore. Yeah, yeah, well, that's
0: that's so beyond hack at this point.
2: And, right. And I, th- <laughs> I think
0: they used up their lifetime allotment of those in like the mid '90s when the show was
2: <laughs> that's not right. doing
0: so hot. Um, did, have you seen any of like Robert Downey Jr.'s era, like the season that he did on the show?
2: You know what's funny is is I've seen a handful from that season but like before we got on I was like straining my brain trying to think of even a single memorable sketch. Yeah. that that he was in that, that really stayed with me and I'm like god that really was like just a miscalculation on Lorne Michaels' part. His whole approach it's, to that season.
0: Yeah, he he really seemed to be hedging his bets in a weird way. Where he's like, yeah. I'm going to take some young movie actors and, and some character actors, and then some sketch comedy groundling people. And yeah, it's
1: just a weird mishmash of a cast. Yeah, uh, there's one sketch I rem I sort of remember. Like, I think you could find it online somewhere. Where, like, Robert Downey Jr. He's he's like in a suitcase. And it yeah. has his head sticking yes. out of the top of it. That's what
2: I was thinking of too. Yeah.
1: It's like Suitcase Boy <laughs> or something like that. It's it's Yeah. It's like the, the type
0: of thing you'd see in a in a weird parody of SNL of like a lame sketch comedy
1: show. It's Yeah, it's, it's so like some weird. weird like avant-garde comedy, yeah. like arts arts art comedy type of eighties type of thing. It was like But it was I did, much, hmm.
0: he did do a sketch uh, when he came back to host at some point. I, I think this was like the late 90s, maybe when he was having that comeback with Allie McBeal. I think it, that was around the time he hosted the show. And he did a sketch, which is still one of my favorite SNL sketches, where they're doing like a West Side Story type of thing. And RDJ is in a street gang. And then everybody in the street gang starts singing like, you know, we're the Cobras. And and Norm McDonald's character, who's the leader of the gang, he's like, "Oh no, this is, this isn't good." He's like, "What the hell are you guys doing? You're doing all this choreographed stuff. They're like, did you discuss this beforehand? What are you doing?" <laughs> and 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 they start having a rumble with the the Panthers, the Puerto Rican gang. And, and then like, you know, all his, all his bros are coming out doing like, you know, ballet type dance steps and pirouettes and stuff. And Norm McDonald's just like, oh, this doesn't look good for me. <laughs> uh, what's going on here? Uh. Uh, it's a very funny sketch. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, yeah, that that, I do remember that, that, that I think is one of the better things, but I, I haven't watched too much of that season that he was on. Cause it was like, just before I started watching the show on a regular basis. So, seen very, very oh. little of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, you. Uh, when I invited you onto the podcast, uh, we we gave you the choice of you could do any movie you wanted with as long as it had an SNL alum, and you chose a, a somewhat unusual choice, but it is technically a movie <laughs> starring an SNL alum. Mm. Uh, we're we're doing 2008's <laughs> Iron Man starring Robert Downey Jr. So. What made you decide on this film?
2: Uh, You know, I just like being difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, how about this? And I kind of love, I feel like in real real time, your reaction is probably like, eh, yeah, Yeah. I guess you're right. Like, (laughs) yeah, I'll allow it, McCoy, on a technicality.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, Darren and I were both huge fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we've done other films where Robert Downey Jr. is the SNL connection. We did uh, Tropic Thunder a year oh, okay. or two back, and uh, um, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, technically all of Robert Downey Jr.'s filmography and Anthony Michael <laughs> Hall's, all and Randy Quaid's, <laughs> and Joan Cusack's, all of those are open to us. Because they they were all you know, cast members.
2: One thing I will say about Iron Man, the first one, is, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I feel like it weirdly does not get talked about as much, even though the MCU as a big behemoth of a thing gets talked about all the time. But I think people tend to lose sight of just how damn good the first Iron Man is.
1: Yeah, like, uh, I mean, for those that don't know, of course, you know, Iron Man came out May 2nd, 2008. Written by Mark Fergus, Hawk, Otsby, Ark Markham, and Matt Holloway. Directed by Jon Favreau. Uh, had a budget of 140 mil. Went on to make, uh, did, did all right. Made 585 mil. And, like, I remember when this, I remember when this film came out, it was, like, a thing where, like, people weren't expecting much from it. And so, like the fact that it became what it was is like is like kind of shocked everybody because uh, I mean at the time, Jon Favreau, I mean he was a pretty well known director. He had he had done Elf, and he had uh, done Zathora. Um, I think uh, Robert Downey Jr. was kind of coming back from you know his issues with uh, drugs and rehab, so like he wasn't in he wasn't really in big in a big demand. And uh, as far as I know, it's. Um, I mean, you guys probably know, know a little bit more than I do, but, like, you know, Iron Man as a character wasn't really, like, an A-list character, really. Like, he wasn't, like, as, like, a household name, like, uh, you know, Spider-Man or Batman or Superman. Like, he was kind of like a, like a C-level character from what I understand. Like, I only knew him because of uh, Ghostface Killer from the Wu-Tang Clan and, like, how, like, he always included Tony Stark references in his raps and he named his first solo album Iron Man. That's how I knew about him. Uh, but yeah, but so the fact that this movie came out and did what it did and just like pretty much totally like, you know, altered the future of superhero movies, it's, it's, it's pretty fantastic.
0: It it is something else. Yeah. I mean, Iron Man, he was considered, he was like a Marvel comics and mainstay. Uh, but yeah, he was considered like a B or C level list character. He was like a tier below than like say Spider-Man, the Hulk, Captain America, those guys, but he was still a major character in the Marvel Universe. He was one of like the big three Avengers, along with Captain America and Thor. And his, he, his comic had been published continuously since
1: the nineteen sixties. So, yeah, okay, but yeah, like I remember watching this in, that in the theaters, and I was like, I was like surprised by I was like, whoa, this is really good. Robert Downey Jr. like really. Yeah, he did an amazing performance, and now, like, you can't, like, he's, like, forever sort of married to that, you know, to that uh, performance of of Tony Stark. Like, he is Tony Stark. Like, I can't, Mm -hmm. I know, like, uh, for years before this, they were, I think uh, I remember hearing that, you know, they were trying to do, like, an Iron Man movie with Tom Cruise or a few other people. But, like, now at this point, like, I can't picture anybody else being Tony Stark except for Robert Downey junior
0: Yeah, that was it. Was a really interesting casting choice, and I think that really helped set it apart from like the typical superhero movie or the typical comic book movie. Um, and and Favreau even said that he, the reason he picked Downey was because of his history. And I mean, the the character of Tony Stark, one of his most famous comic book stories, is called "Demon in the Bottle," and it's all about Tony Stark confronting his alcoholism, and he's had a few storylines about that since uh i mean the the comic book character at one point he's actually homeless <laughs> because of his oh, damn! yeah and, and because obadiah stain like stole his fortune um which, oh wow and and he's he's the villain in this movie so
1: yes yes jeff bridges <laughs> yeah. coming through with a bald head and a yeah.
0: beard zaki how did you uh, come to the character of iron man do you remember discovering the character in the, in the comics are you a big fan of iron man the character
2: Oh, I was a huge fan of Iron Man. That was kind of the cool thing for me is I I read Iron Man comics throughout the 80s and 90s all the way up to the early 2000s. So mm-hmm. uh, I and I still I have all of those. Uh, I have that that whole run still. Uh, so so it was definitely one of those things where when the movie I remember in the 90s uh, at one point, I think I think the the project was at new line and Nicolas Cage was attached. Yeah wow and mm-hmm. and and at the time i was like oh yeah I, I could see that you know and then he left iron man to do superman which he of course ended up not doing but you know the movie languished and then you know tom cruise was attached uh so much so that they you know th- there was uh they relaunched the comic i think in 04 or 05 and and uh, adi Granov, the artist drew tom cruise as tony stark
0: hmm, i didn't realize that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can. It's like clear as day. It's the same way Brian Hitch drew Sam Jackson as Nick Fury, like way before he was cast as Nick Fury. Right, right. That's what Granov did there, and and what's funny is at the time I was like, I could see it, I guess, but I I wasn't crazy about that. Yeah, Tom Cruise Um, seems almost
0: like a little too on the nose, you know?
2: (laughs) Right. Um I remember when Downey was cast and I was I was definitely on board uh but it's it's very interesting to me because like to me the Tony Stark of the MCU as time went on became became more and more Robert Downey whereas I think the Stark that we get in in the first Iron Man that's the closest to the comic book version of Tony Stark.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean as the, the sequel films went on a lot more of the RDJ snarkiness and sarcasm right. was baked into the character because because Tony Stark was never particularly funny in the comics or never right. particularly sarcastic he was right he was like that billionaire playboy he was Howard Hughes basically um, that's right he, you know he was a playboy but an inventor but he wasn't particularly funny or charming or or a big wisecracker <laughs> so.
2: Right. That's exactly. exactly Yeah. It's when nowadays people are like, Oh, uh, Iron Man, he's gotta be funny. Like that's, that's, you know, mm-hmm. he's hilarious. you know, and I'm like, that's cool. Like, it's not even like, I think, I think that's the great thing about, about the MCU is that it, 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 it gained sentience. It became its own thing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the computer from Superman three. It wants to live, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is the one and only time anyone will ever compare the MCU to the supercomputer. That Richard Pryor created in Superman, right? War. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but regardless, you know, I I I love all of it. I love all the changes because to me, I'm like, well, the comics are the comics, and they're always there. But uh, definitely, the w- what I what I appreciate the most about that first movie is is to me, yeah, that is the closest to the comic book Iron Man we've ever gotten in the MCU.
0: Yeah, and Ooh. and there are so many sort of in jokes and tips of the hat to the comic version, I mean, they basically update the origin in the original comic book origin, which was done, I think around like 1963, 64, um, a, a Tony Stark is like testing weapons in Vietnam and he's, Correct. he's literally yeah. in Vietnam and he's, he's captured and he, he builds an art, uh, this suit of armor to escape along with the assistance of a man named Jensen. I think even the character's name was the same.
2: It's still into yeah, yeah.
0: And, um, and, and he escapes. And then when he gets back to the States, he refines the armor further. I mean, and even like that first armor, it's, it's very much what you see in the movie. It's that big clunky gray thing. And then when, when he gets back to the States, he paints it gold and then later gets a more sleek armor that was designed by Steve Ditko, the guy who co-created Spider-Man with Stan Lee. And yeah, and it's amazing how beat for beat they do, Pretty much the same origin. They just transported to Afghanistan to make it more current.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a pretty awesome. I, I got like the um, the uh, the scenes where he gets captured and then he breaks out after being the Iron Man suit. Or yeah, are still pretty are fantastic. And I didn't even realize this until I saw it uh, last night for this podcast. But like, I had no idea that uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine is in this movie as a cameo. And like, I, that's something I didn't capture until like yesterday. Until like a, like this is, a, this is like a movie I've seen a hundred times. And I saw it like last night for this podcast. And I was like, is that Tom Morello? And yeah, sure enough, it is. <laughs> Where's where he He's one of the up? Ten Rings yeah. people. Uh, yeah, he's one of the guards. He's one of the guards yeah. that works for uh, the Ten Rings, which is something else that pops up later on in the MCU. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it really is an amazing opening to the film and it it gets intense. I mean, it just, it just starts right there in Afghanistan. We see Tony Stark get captured and it's, I mean, it's a very intense sequence. It feels like something out of like Black Hawk down or something like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah.
0: And, and it's real indicative of Jon Favreau's approach to the movie is he it starts out in a very real world. It's not like a comic book world as it starts. It just sort of kind of gradually turns into a comic book world as the movie goes on because he just he, he just leads you there step by step so that the building of the armor seems totally plausible. And then by the end, we've got <laughs> two guys in the armored suits fighting each other, and <laughs> but it, you still totally buy it because he's just gone there bit
2: by bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He, he it, made
2: that. It, uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but just just real quick. I mean, I, I think it's worth pointing out that summer of 2008 you had you had Iron Man at one end and you had The Dark Knight uh, about about 2 months <sighs> later. Mm-hmm. You talk about you talk about two movies that are like tent poles for everything the superhero movie has been able to compass in the in the decade and and a half since then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, it, it's, it. it's like an impact crater followed immediately by another impact crater.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I mean, <laughs> and this isn't even
0: the only Marvel movie of that summer. We had, like, at the tail end of the summer, we had the Incredible Hulk movie with Edward Norton, which I still think yeah. is one of the more underrated movies in, in the MCU. I totally agree. Oh, I, yeah. I, I think that movie gets a little overlooked just, you know, probably because of the whole Edward Norton casting switch thing. But it, it's a good movie. And uh, I feel like it, it might have been an even better movie if they'd listened to Edward Norton a little bit more because most of those <laughs> scenes are pretty good. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It, it unfortunately gets a little overshadowed uh, because of Iron Man because Iron Man was just such an
1: out-of-nowhere hit. So Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, if you want to keep talking about the, uh, the theme of people getting swapped out, uh, we could talk about James Rhodes, uh, Terrence Howard okay. in this film, who unfortunately we don't see in future films. And, uh, I don't, I liked, I liked Terrence Howard in this film. Like, I mean, part of me, I mean, look, I'm, I'm team Don Cheadle all day. We're, you know, we're on this podcast as officially saying Don Cheadle rocks. Yes. But like, I, I have to admit, I think the chemistry between Terrence Howard and Robert Downey Jr. is a little bit better. I yeah, think I, agree. I, I, I could be wrong.
0: I'd agree. I don't. I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world if they'd hung on to Terrence Howard. I, I buy him and RDJ's Tony Stark as old friends a little bit more than I do with Don Cheadle. Like I, I heard it compared once is like you can see, you can imagine that that RDJ's Tony Stark and Terrence Howard's uh, Rhodey got into some trouble back in the day, and that they had some hell raising nights together. Um, with Don Cheadle, it, I picture it more like RDJ goes off and does his thing. And Don Cheadle's like, okay, well, uh, you know, you have fun with that. I'm just
1: going to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) It's late. I'm going to bed. Some nice warm milk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's, he's just having a quiet night at home. Um, That's, that's how I picture it.
0: But I mean, of course, you know, Cheadle's grown on me in the role and he is roadie now, but. Yeah, it is. It is kind of too bad how that shook out, and and you have that moment towards the end of the film where he looks over at the Mark II armor and he just goes, "Next time, baby," and it's just
2: the irony mm. it's just
0: so hard <laughs> when you see it's that. Gone, now.
2: Gone. <laughs> You're just oh, like, oh
1: yeah, not not for you, Terrence Howard. <laughs> <laughs> not not today, Terrence. Not today. Not but- ever.
0: But the really wild thing is like Terrence Howard was like the first guy hired for this film and the highest paid guy. Because Wow. It was I mean, this this movie is so far back now. It was a time when Robert Downey Jr. wasn't considered bankable. So Terrence Howard got something like three point five million, and I think RDJ got like five hundred thousand, something like that. It just seems absurdly Whoa. low for him now. That's a steal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he made up for it when the sequels, I'm sure. but
2: Yeah, but oh. by the end, they just gave him Australia. I think that was his salary. <laughs> just, just the continent of Australia.
0: And he deserves it, damn it. <laughs> right. He saved the universe. He, de- he deserves a continent. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look back at it now, it's uh, they got a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it, it it is it is in retrospect very odd casting for a summer blockbuster film because you you have Robert Downey Jr. you have Gwyneth Paltrow you have Jeff Bridges and you have Terrence Howard and none of those are like people you really associated with big action movies or at least you didn't back then it's it's a quirky cast you, you'd expect that to be like the cast of a quirky indie. <laughs> which is apparently
2: how it uh, that's apparently how it played out you know john favreau has talked about how uh oftentimes they were just they were performing it on the fly yeah uh and that he that's how he described it It just felt like an indie movie
0: yeah yeah uh jeff bridges has a very famous quote where he says like he, he was talking about how the the script was in flux i think the story was kind of locked in but the script was very much in flux so he he finally just adjusted to it and he said, like, hey man, I'm in like a two hundred million dollar student film. <laughs> <And> we just meet <laughs> the dressing rooms and figure out what we're gonna do that day. So and it it does have like sort of a loosey goosey quality to it because of that. Like you they do feel like real conversations, it's less screenwriter quippy than most movies of this type.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't like yeah. None of those actors really seem like action stars, but they're in this action movie. But it, it does feel more. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I guess it does feel a little bit more grounded in uh, indie and whatnot. And uh, also in this film, we get the first uh, showing of a uh, Phil Coulson, played by Clark Gregg, who would go on mm-hmm. to be in Avengers and Captain Marvel. Like I, there was like a whole bunch of like little things I noticed in this film that would, you know, later on be bigger and better things and later on da- down in the MCU, like uh, Phil Coulson. We hear uh, Jarvis for the first time, Paul Bettany's voice. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, the, te- the Ten Rings. It's, all, it's, it's, I don't know, it's pretty cool to see all these little things like, oh, that, that becomes that later on. Like, um, uh, I also noticed for the first time when uh, the big fight at the end, like uh, I, I saw, uh, the you see on You see mm-hmm. the on logo in the background of a building and on the side of a truck. So it's always I don't know things like that kind of you know get my uh, nerd juices flowing. I was like, oh, that becomes that becomes that later on. Ooh, yeah, know, it makes yeah. me happy.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of fun, and and of course, like I'd say, the big game changer is in that post credits scene at the end where you have Samuel L. Jackson mm. popping up as Nick Fury, saying, "I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative," and that's that. Of course, was a huge game changer because it used to be. Each each comic book movie would basically exist in isolation. Like if you'd had yeah. something like in Batman Forever where Bruce Wayne says, Oh, the circus must be halfway to Metropolis by now. And that that was our comic book crossover movie.
2: That, that, that was our <laughs> shared cinematic universe.
0: Exactly, exactly. And then <laughs> and then suddenly we have Samuel L. Jackson popping up as Nick Fury, a character who in the Ultimates universe was modeled after him. And apparently Ooh. Samuel L. Jackson gave his permission for that because he said, like, well, if you ever do a movie version, I get the part. And that was <laughs> I don't think he charged them for use of his likeness or anything. He just said, like, I, yeah, I want to play the part. And and that's worked out well, pretty well for Sam.
1: Not bad. Not bad. Did all right. So, I mean,
0: Zachy, do you remember what your reaction was when you first got an inkling that they were going to actually cross over their characters and have them exist in the same universe, like in the comics.
2: Oh, you know, it was so like, I, I, I remember the, how, you know, the, the innocence of just, you know, when Coulson at the end of the film, he's like, call us shield mm-hmm. and be like, Holy crap shield. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and I had, unfortunately I had had the, the, the reveal of Sam Jackson spoiled for me uh, before going in. Otherwise that would have just blown my hair back. Yeah. But, but, Uh, I remember, I think even more than seeing Nick Fury at the end of, of Iron Man, which is amazing. But when Tony Stark shows up at the end of the Incredible Hulk, that was the first time it like occurred to me, like, we're doing this, like this is happening, you know? And, and I was going to say, it's the first time we had a shared universe, but I'm like, well, no, I mean, there was like Thor and, you know, the Hulk movie or, you know, like the old TV show and right, you right. Had the Daredevil crossover. But like, I mean, the idea of like, we're doing this for real. And the idea, like, I remember in the lead up to Avengers, like the biggest sort of bridge yet to cross in your mind was like, am I going to believe that Iron Man and Thor can exist in the same universe? Yes. And now here we are, here we are, you know, 14 years past that. And we're like, so we're going to have like a multiverse and there's like three different Spider-Mans and we're doing that. And there, you know, like, yeah. like, I mean, this is why I, I say this all the time. I'm like, and, and John, you, you know, this, cause you see the, the Twitter conversations that I get pulled into sometimes I'm like, people complain about all this stuff and i'm sitting here i'm like when i was a kid the hulk's name (laughs) was david banner like he didn't (laughs) talk and he he had like red blood and it was like it was like a fraction of what's in the comics and we were like well that's what we have and we're lucky to have it
0: yes yes
2: so i'm just i'm like i'm just like a pig in shit right now and i I, when i see people complaining about this stuff i'm just like man i don't even know what y'all complaining about
0: i know Mm. it's we really are living in a golden age of geekdom. Uh, it's, yes. I mean, all this stuff that I never would have even dreamt of back yeah. in the day. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it boggles yeah. the mind when you think of how how far we've come and how much this has grown just from this. And and yeah, and, and you go back and you look at this film and it does seem pretty contained because it is it is still taking place in a world that is like recognizably our world you know yeah and and they they have (laughs) and there are also things that just kind of scream out this movie was made in 2008 you have like the references to to myspace and Mm. we've got the Uh, cameo from from jim kramer from mad money (laughs) And, (laughs) and did you know that Bad Money is still going on? I actually like looked that up not long ago, and I'm like, wow, that show's still on?
1: <laughs> I had no idea. I, uh, I guess no one's canceled it yet, so I was like, yeah. Yeah. he's just he's just like, all right, I'll keep screaming in this camera. I, I was like,
0: I thought Jon Stewart drove a stake through that guy's heart years ago, but
1: apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were dead! We <laughs> killed you! Yeah. I also saw like a good amount of flip phones throughout this movie too. I was like, oh, I remember those. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, I, I'd forgot. I'd also forgotten like how intense like the prison scenes are early on after Tony Stark is captured. I mean, you see, you see snippets of him being tortured, and like Tony Stark's escape from the cave in his first prototype Iron Man armor. It shot like a horror film with. With like Iron Man as the monster, and it's it's really effective filmmaking. I was pretty impressed with
1: that. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really something. I also noticed there was something uh, when Tony meets uh, Yinsen for the first time, and Mm -hmm. Yinsen says, "Oh yeah, we met before at this uh, conference in Bern, but you were like, "You were super drunk," so I'm surprised. You you know, you of course you wouldn't remember me. And if you go to Iron Man three, they actually show that scene of them meeting. Yeah, in the beginning of Iron Man three, so I was like, "Oh, that's that's a nice little thing that they did there." Yeah, that was a cool callback.
0: Yeah, it's cool that they gave Yinsen uh, another cameo. Um, you know, it, it's I, I kind of wish that some of the subsequent films had uh, done a little more of with Yinsen because, like, it's everything uh, Tony Stark d- ends up doing. Is because of this one guy who sacrifices his life for him, and I, I wish like he'd he'd gotten like a shout out in some of the the later films, or we saw like his picture in Tony's office or something like that. I, I feel like they dropped that ball a little bit, uh-huh. you know.
2: We do see him in a flashback in Iron Man, 3. right?
0: Right. Yeah, what? we do see that, but I don't think there's anything besides that. No.
2: So, although you know, I I should uh, one thing I've said this in the past. I mean. Uh, as somebody who, uh, really, uh, was starved of Muslim representation on screen, you know, as, as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, I, I continue to love the fact that, uh, the, the Iron Man's origin and by extension, everything that happens in the MCU is because of a Muslim telling Tony Stark, uh, don't waste your, your life. Yeah. Do something good. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh you know like uh, when you think about it like uh, uh defeating thanos it's it's because yensen uh, was there at the right moment yeah you know? that, that's true that's very true
1: yensen is, is a true hero of the MCU. that's, that's what right. i that's what i'm saying
0: <laughs> how do you feel about um the portrayal of the middle east or the middle easterners uh in this movie is it does it get very stereotypical, or do you feel like it's it's fairly balanced? Because we have a character like Jansen in it, Zaki.
2: You know, I I appreciated when I saw it that they, you know, they, they were trying to show that the Ten Rings is not a an overt political organization. It's not comparable to to Al Qaeda or something because it's all these different uh, ethnicities contained within it. You know that mm-hmm. the, you know Jansen alludes to. And uh, a couple years back, actually, I got to I got to chat with Faran Tahir, who plays uh, Raza, you know, the leader right. of the Ten Rings of this. You right. know, and I asked him about it, you know, and he's a Muslim actor and I know he's sensitive to this type of thing. And I and I asked him, I said, how did you tackle, you know, playing this and, and knowing sort of the responsibility of like you're 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 playing a Muslim terrorist? And I know that's not something Muslim actors like doing. Yeah. And he he actually said he appreciated the approach they took, which which was to not root the Ten Rings in religious iconography, they're they're not Muslim terrorists specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think and I think uh, uh, it helps that Farhan Thayer added sort of this level of charisma. You know, he I think he played him in a very interesting way uh, that makes him a compelling villain, completely separate from sort of the the terrorist trappings. Yes. Mm. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's very true. true. I was also. This is also like only like a year removed when he's also at the very beginning of uh, of Star Trek, the uh, the JJ Abrams Star Trek, where he plays uh, Captain of the Kelvin, sure. which okay. uh, Jim Kirk's dad is on, and he and it was it was a pretty straight heroic role uh, for him, and I was like, wow, this this actor was having a good year. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty well. Had meaty parts in in. And two blockbusters that's that's not bad it was captain rabone yeah, yeah okay so it's also it's still funny i found this funny uh, i think when i first viewed the movie and i i still find it funny now is like when tony stark escapes captivity in afghanistan And he comes back to the States and he says, Well, the first thing I want to do is get an American hamburger. And then the next scene, we see him and he's, they've stopped at Burger King. And I'm like, Really? You're an Angelino and you don't go to In N Out Burger? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Like, I think, I mean, from what I've read, like, it was very specific that they have uh, Burger King because I believe, like, that, I think a tone, I think uh, Robert Downey Jr. said that, like, yeah, Burger King burgers actually played a part in his sobriety and helping him get sober. I read that. I read
0: that. It was uh, in the IMDb trivia page. It says that he had a night where it was in 2003, where he was in like a car full of drugs and he got a Burger King burger. And the the burger was so disgusting. It inspired him to clean his life up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's the weirdest backstory for product placement ever. I
2: think <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, I think there's
1: a reason why Burger King didn't uh, run with that for uh, future advertising. I mean, and I don't, I
0: don't even remember what type of drugs uh, RDJ was doing at this point, but it says something that that he considered the Burger King burger too disgusting to put into his body. <laughs> <laughs> that's. <laughs> And then that, that ends up into a product placement deal for Burger King. That's hilarious
1: to me. That's right. <laughs> Burger King, we hope you get sober. <laughs> Burger King, we're worse than heroin. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! But... <laughs> I mean, yeah, no lies there, though. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just I just think it's I'm like, really? You haven't had an American hamburger in three months and Burger King's the place you go to.
1: Yeah, that's that does you know. I guess I mean I guess it's also funny to see like the world's wealthiest man eating, you know, just like some a cheap uh, you know, run of the mill fast food burger like Burger King, maybe there's some humor there. That's true.
0: I Um, remember like a couple years ago after uh, the Oscars. Patton Oswalt won an Oscar for, or, or no, he won an Emmy for uh, his his last stand-up special, and he had his brother Matt Oswald take a picture of him, like in the middle of the night at an Arby's with his with his Emmy sitting there, and he's just sitting there. And Patton Oswald said he got all sorts of calls and texts from people like, "Are you?" Are you okay, man? Is everything all right? And it was because he was at an Arby's, which is just sort of the shorthand fast food restaurant
1: for depression and emotional breakdown.
0: <laughs> so,
1: yeah, no that 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 makes sense. I've eaten at Arby's.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing, nothing will make you question your life choices like eating at an Arby's.
1: Yeah, when you're when you're uh, when you're out horsey sauce, you're you're in a bad place. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> sounded way more. Uh, Sexually graphic than I meant to, but you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, uh yeah. We can also talk about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I thought she, I thought she uh, gave a pretty solid performance. Uh, I mean, I'm not very familiar with the character Pepper Potts, uh, but I mean, from what you know, from what I saw, I think she's pretty much, you know, embodied the character pretty well. And, yeah, uh, she did great. Yeah,
0: and she and uh, Downey have uh, a decent chemistry. Uh, I think it was interesting to read uh, who John Favreau's first choice for the role was. It was actually Rachel McAdams, who would, of course, later to co-star with Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Sherlock Holmes, and later came to the MCU as Doctor Strange's love interest, uh, Doctor Christine Palmer. So, and oh, wow. uh, I could see that working. I could see her being a little bit more like the comic book. Pepper Pots, but uh, but yeah, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow did a nice job, I thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: solid. I I dug it. Hmm. Oh, cool. Zachy, do you have any like other favorite moments in the movie?
2: Oh, I think you know uh, from the moment I, I love that it's become a meme now. Mm-hmm. But but Tony Stark built this in a cave yeah, with lots of scraps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is Again, from the and I I have been like a Jeff Bridges super fan since I was just a little kid, and and so I was just delighted that he was in this movie. I was I I love that because I watched it with my wife, and um she had no idea who Obadiah Stane was. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, well, I mean, I know Obadiah Stane; he's gonna be the bad guy. Uh, so she was completely taken off off guard by his uh his his heel turn, you know? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I just I love the the um just the quirkiness that bridges brings to it. I think I think he's such a great underrated MCU villain. It, you know, he doesn't get mentioned at all 14 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's great. I think I think he's great as Obadiah. I think he, he 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 his motivation is very clear. Uh I think it all just works, you know.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. agree. He he is you, you don't expect Jeff Bridges to be the villain, but he he really brings it off. I mean, he he is threatening and he's unsettling and and he's got a very striking look because he like shaved his head for the role and grew a full beard so he looks very different from the Jeff Bridges we ordinarily know.
1: He's not he's not the dude anymore, definitely. I yeah, know. Um yeah but no he's he's fantastic in this like uh I always like you mentioned that line the with a box of crafts. I always got a kick out of the way he delivered it. Maybe it's because of the pause between mm-hmm. he built us in the cave, pause with a box of scraps, like, I don't know, like, right. that always gives me, that always gives me a laugh whenever I see it, and I do like, um, uh, you know, Obadiah Stain's turn, because it is something you don't see coming unless you, you know, watch it another time, mm-hmm. or a couple other times, and really see, like, the, you, you really see, like, the underlying, you know, things about how Obadiah really feels about Tony, you, you see, like, oh, wow, well, he's really kind of maybe jealous and envious of him and he maybe he sort of feels like all of this stark industry should be his and like i actually remember watching um i watched some like reaction videos of this movie before the podcast and there is a there is a scene where you see uh, obadiah playing on the piano and he's playing a piece by salieri mm-hmm, and- yep yeah, yeah, and like that's supposed to be like a nod to see how he's like Salieri, and um, Tony Stark is like Mozart. And if you ever seen Amadeus, you know that um, that you know angry rivalry that Salieri always had for Amadeus. So I was like, oh, yeah. a, I didn't notice that before. That's a nice little nod there.
0: That is a nice nod. Yeah, I, I think that came from Jeff Bridges because he's a, I mean, he he can really play the piano. So
1: oh. Very nice, and I also liked how um, Jeff uh, Obadiah was yelling at uh, the Peter Billingsley, the, the guy guy mm-hmm. played uh, Ralphie <laughs> from the story.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he and uh, Favreau go back, and I think wasn't Billingsley like a producer of some kind on this film? Uh, yes,
1: yes, yeah,
0: yeah. And of course, and and amazingly enough, they they bring Peter Billingsley's character back as as sort of a uh, a villain henchman in Spider Man Far From Home, which is probably one of the most unexpected callbacks in the mcu i think
1: i did not see that coming
2: yeah (laughs) peter billingsley waiting patiently for his hot toys mcu figure exactly we need (laughs) we
0: need like you know bald bespectacled peter billingsley uh in uh in action figure form um i i was thinking like during this rewatch because they talk a lot about how obadiah staying goes back so far with Tony's dad and how they were like best friends and he helped build this company. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of too bad that we haven't seen Obadiah Stane in flashbacks at all because we've, we've come back to Howard Stark a few times. It might be cool to see like a young Obadiah Stane somewhere in there as like Howard Stark's trusted associate.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's very true. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean certainly by by implication and maybe this is just my in my head canon but it felt like uh Obadiah had some kind of role to play in Howard's death. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that I don't think that's even in the mix uh, at this point. Uh, I don't even know how you could you could retcon that in there. But saying um, like Obadiah
0: was Hydra or something like that.
2: Yeah, something like that. I mean, I, I I suppose they could do something like that. But, you know, um, definitely the, the idea of like the he, he's the man who 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 toiled in the shadow of the greater man, you know, very much the Amadeus thing. Um, but I also kind of I like the idea that he was fine playing his role because Tony Stark was the dilettante who, you know, he's the brains. He's just coming up with this stuff and, and Obadiah is the face of the company. Yeah. Yeah. And so kind of like he's yeah. forced to make this heel turn when suddenly Tony like wakes up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah.
0: And 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 that's very much a uh an arc that Tony Stark had in the comics as well where he uh he, he doesn't do it immediately after he comes back from his capture of, of stop making weapons, but that is something that the writers had him do in like I think it was like the in the 70s sometime when you had like younger writers coming in after Stan Lee who were of a slightly more liberal bent, I think. And, and it was, it was still like the tail end of the hippie era. So they had him stop with the, with the weapons manufacturing. And, but, but it's a stronger arc to have him do that immediately after he comes back and he realizes his complicity in all that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, oh, yeah, I, it's yeah, a great
0: yeah. moment where you actually see a missile or a bomb, like, land next to him, and he glances over, and it's got the Stark Industries logo on it.
1: Yeah, that says so much. Yeah,
0: yeah. And amazingly, I didn't realize until this rewatch, I think it's before we even hear him referred to by name as Tony Stark. They don't establish his name until, like, that that flashback. Right, Because they they wrote they go back in time like 36 hours before his capture and then you get that little informative film that's like your sort of capsule
1: Tony Stark bio. Oh yeah, that's right. That's when they do the whole they give the whole backstory and we see, mm-hmm. um, you know, a young Robert Downey Jr. in a, in, in old articles saying, yeah. you know, saying he's Tony Stark and seeing him as a kid next to young Bill Gates yeah. together computers and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a good way to sort of give like the background story of Tony Stark, you know, for those who aren't familiar with like who he is and his background and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's it's a lot of fun. And uh, some some decent photoshopping on young RDJ on the old Rolling Stone covers and stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not bad, not bad. Yeah, yeah. I liked how like in a few scenes you can hear. Like the old '60s uh, theme song to Iron Man that they kind of put in, yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's that's
0: a great like deep cut thing that you probably wouldn't notice on your first watch, but then you listen for it and you're like, yeah, Tony Stark makes you feel he's cool exactly. (laughs) That's (laughs) Rhodey's ringtone. Yeah, yeah. He sneaks it in a few times.
1: It's 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 good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and overall, I, I like the, um, I, I would say like a lot of the graphics still hold up. I would say like a lot of the action scenes still hold up. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, I like uh, the scenes like where the, where they show Tony sort of teaching himself how to be Iron Man, you know, the, uh, yeah. the training montages, you know, the problems with the icing and he's learning how to use the suit and how to build it and how to fly. And, you know, of course, he ends up, uh, you know, crashing through his mansion and, you know smashing cars and whatnot but he's like kind of learning how he's kind of teaching himself how to be how to use the suit and you know because like there's no one else to really mm-hmm. teach him but That's, you know but he's just,
0: that is a lot of fun and it gets some more humor into the film which certainly helps and it, and it helps your identification with Tony Stark and I mean a, a choice that we kind of take for granted now but I think was a really great choice for the time was to do those close-ups of Robert Downey Jr. with the HUD display stuff around him so you see him inside his helmet so that helps you carry that identification you have with Tony Stark through the rest of the film through the Iron Man sequences mm, um, yeah. and and that's become such a standard thing but I think that was a that was a great great choice that they made when they were making this film because it,
2: it it was it's so ingenious that when you look back on it you're like well of course you had to do it that way right right
0: mm-hmm. but I mean
2: I remember very distinctly before this movie came out that was like the question like how can you have him? you can't even see his face it's it's not expressive how are you gonna do it and then this simple thing like well you just stick down in a closet and shine a flashlight at his face or whatever they did you know (laughs) right he's basically like in the year 2000 (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) and and it's great when you think about it like for for iron man for for iron man's appearance in spider-man uh homecoming yeah you figure that's like a tenth of it right there it's just him with like the the light on his face yeah
0: yeah you know it's a surprisingly low-tech kind of solution but it it really is ingenious and but you look back at it and yeah it's it seems obvious in retrospect but no i mean because it's it's funny to see the way like other superhero movies would address that same problem like in the spider-man films they would just have him like unmask at the the slightest opportunity like you know toby mcguire's like cool. oh i've got a little soot on my mask i'll whip it off in front of this train <laughs> of people. and i remember <laughs> the, the first andrew garfield movie i was kind of on the fence about seeing it because it didn't look that great to me and it, i saw a clip yeah. where andrew garfield like unmasked to calm down a little kid and i was like okay i i don't think i'm gonna bother with seeing this one in the theater because
1: I want to
0: see Spider-Man. I don't want to see like whoever's playing Spider-Man at that moment in time. Uh, But the, uh, the, the HUD display thing I think worked really well. And it fortunately spared us the, (laughs) to have from having like an unmasked Iron Man too much. We, we get a little of that in the climax, but I think that's acceptable because the, the armor is shutting down a little bit.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I still think it holds, holds up the effects, hold up uh, mm-hmm. special. I mean, of course we've come a long way since, since then, as far as like, um, special effects and whatnot, but like, I mean, I still think it's pretty strong. Like, like I said before, I still think it's, I think it works uh, very well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it still works, uh, really well. And it's, it's not as out there as the Marvel Universe films get later on. I mean, you you put this next to something like Thor Ragnarok or Thor Love and Thunder, and it's just like, yeah, Ooh. these take place in the same universe. It's it's just <laughs> kind of insane how far we've come in the in the fourteen fifteen years since.
1: It really is. It really is. And uh yeah, and
0: they packed so many films into. I mean, what what are we at? Like. We're we're closing in on thirty films now, and at least half a dozen different TV shows.
1: I believe so. Yeah, like yeah. I, I mean, I could pull up the, uh, you know, the phases, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's, I think we're, it's around there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of
1: it's, it's something I
0: find fascinating about the the MCU is that just out of necessity, they have to, they can't do comic book time, uh, because it's like you know. In comic books, famously, they do comic book time where the characters are sort of always the same age and they just kind of drag the past behind them, but that past sort of keeps moving forward in time. Like, Tony Stark is always going to be 35 years old. and But for real-world actors who age one year for every year that passes in the world, uh, (laughs) you've only got like a 10, maybe a 15-year window where they can plausibly play these characters. So it's really interesting now that we're we're at a point where they've kind of rotated a few actors out of the roles and some and the characters with them they haven't done like a major major recasting. I don't think they could plausibly recast Tony Stark or Steve Rogers at this point. So they they just retired the characters with the actors and it's really going to be interesting to see what they do with that going forward because those are those are two it- big big characters to lose.
2: It's kind of interesting when you think about it, because the MCU made a decision, right? They could have done the the James Bond thing mm-hmm. or the Star Wars thing, right? So Star Wars being where you, yeah. you, you retire the actors or retire the characters. And they decided, no, we're going to – yeah, we're going to – the characters and actors are, are inextricably linked. And that the, – the impact of that was so sizable – that James Bond ended up doing the MCU thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they actually, uh, spoilers for, uh, no time to die. They, they actually killed off James Bond with Daniel Craig. So, <laughs> wow. I mean, they're, they're going to have to do a reboot, then another reboot the next time they bring James Bond back, which is, yeah, that's kind of
1: wild that <laughs> they did that with Bond. That is but, pretty bonkers, but. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Zaki, uh, like so as far as Iron Man goes, is this one of your favorite uh MCU films? Do you have any other uh, faves up there? Like what yeah, is you?
2: know, I, I, for you? I, well I've I've long since uh stopped even attempting to rank them because there are just too many of them. So there's yeah. just what I've said I've said previously, I'm like I'm basically on board for most of them. It's like, there's like a spectrum of quality. Some I like more than others. This is definitely in the, 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 you know, the, the front end of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I think what, when you look at Iron Man, you obviously have to look at everything that came after, but you also have to look at all the attempted MCUs that didn't, uh, that didn't take. Yeah. That's true. And, and, and those make you appreciate Iron Man all the more, because the great thing about this movie is honestly, we got the we got the little sequel tease with with the you know Nick Fury at the end but let's say let's say none of those sequels happened well you've still got a great movie with a great beginning middle and end.
0: that's true that's true I mean this would have been a great standalone film and I think that's the secret is like most every other studio that's tried to do that they try to ramp up too quickly like you know we had the Tom Cruise mummy movie a few years back that's right and and they were like Universal was like, well, we're going to do the dark universe and Russell Crowe's going to play Dr. Jekyll and and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And they had all these plans and that didn't get any further than that one film, because that one film. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but apparently it wasn't that
2: great. It wasn't particularly yeah. great. And, and you know, th- their eyes were bigger than their stomach when it came to that. You know, yeah. like when when Iron Man came out, they're not teasing the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh I, I say this all the time to people. I'm like, the Infinity Saga didn't become the Infinity Saga until after the credits of the first Avengers movie. Right.
0: Mm. Right. Uh, yeah. In,
2: yeah, yeah. In, in hindsight, in hindsight, we're like, oh, they were laying it all out, and all the pieces were there. And I'm like, I guarantee you, Kevin Feige, at that moment when they were making Iron Man, was not already thinking about Infinity Gauntlet. He was just trying to get this one out the door. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. And you know, and it it what helps obviously is that Marvel was at that moment they were not owned by Disney, so they were on the hook for this thing if it didn't if it didn't uh, uh succeed.
0: Yeah, because they leveraged it against like the rights to the characters. So like if Iron Man That's didn't right. hit, they would have been in a lot of trouble financially. And and Marvel had already gone yeah. through bankruptcy at this point, about ten years right. before. Uh so
1: oof. It, but uh yeah yeah I th- I mean I think both you guys are, are are right on the money. Like I like after after you know this after the MCU did what it did and you know, made this whole multi-universe. Then everybody was like, "Oh, I want multi. I want a multi-universe too." And like, I yeah. think <laughs> the reason it never really succeeds is because I actually I watched another YouTube video about this too. It's, it's just because like a lot of other uh, companies don't really have, you know, they don't really take the time and the patience needed to make a multi-universe. Like you said with um with the mummy, they were going to make a monster universe. Mm-hmm. The mummy or the the mummy movie didn't do well, so they just scrapped the whole thing. And like people right. forget that. Like, you know, when this was being built and Feige was putting out these movies, not every movie hit. I mean, you know, of course, the most infamous one, you know, Thor, The Dark World. Uh, but like people don't like I think a lot of companies don't take that. are okay, A lot of companies aren't OK with them having a few duds in mm-hmm. order to get the bigger picture. But and, you, know you know what? And, I think and, I think with Marvel,
0: even even their worst films, there's still a certain baseline. Even their worst films are still like decent. You know, at the very yeah, least, yeah. they're like pretty good. Thor: The Dark World gets a lot of grief, but I think that's at worst like a C plus movie. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's not that bad. It's bad in comparison to the other Marvel movies. It doesn't maybe do what some of the other ones do, but uh, and and yeah, it's it's very interesting to compare them with DC in particular because like DC and Warner's, they seem like they're the most poised to build another cinematic universe that's comparable to Marvel's but for I would say a variety of reasons they haven't really been able to do that I think yeah part of the problem is they tried to ramp it up too quickly like Man of Steel was basically a standalone Superman film from what I I could see I think they had like one satellite that had Wayne Tech on it or something like that but and I don't know if I'm remembering the chronology correctly like Avengers came out while they were shooting it. So I think I think the, the game kinda changed while they were making that film. And then and then suddenly Warner realized, oh, we can't quite do what we've just been doing for the last twenty years of standalone films anymore. We've got to make a universe. And then they tried to ramp up to that in, in Batman v Superman and it, it had I would say mixed success.
1: Yeah. I mean, the def- Batman v Superman definitely has its, you know, fans. It's you know Snyder Bros and whatnot. But like mm-hmm. for the most part, it it didn't quite hit like it should have. And then of course you and I we saw uh, Justice League in the theaters, and we we, we remember that film. We you know how that did?
0: We did, we did. I still have the scars. Mm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still wake up in a cold sweat. Yes. Yeah.
0: It... <sighs> I, I, I just I think sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, if I could have told twelve year old me, yeah, someday there's going to be a live action Justice League movie, and you're not going to be that interested in seeing it, I, <laughs> I would not have known what to think. <laughs>
1: but yeah, that's I. Hmm. Uh, yeah, let's look right, let's, let's yeah, let's just forget it. Let's, yeah. let's, let's let's not talk about that. I mean, Zachy, I know well, you've
0: had your your encounters with the the Snyderverse <laughs> people at times. <laughs> you're you're like a handy guide for me to, for like who to block on twitter i'm just like oh this person's being an asshole to Zaki, oh, i'll just block this person and i'll block this person and oh look i've already blocked this one.
2: <laughs> oh boy what's funny is is i'm like i'm i'm on board with man of steel yeah ultimately i'm i don't even mind bvs and i actually really liked snyder's justice league cut uh-huh And so it's, it's, it's hilarious to me that some of these very zealous Snyder fans have just had it in for me for, for what, like six years now, however long it's been, you know? Um, And it's cause you can't, you can't even be remotely critical. Right. So, so I can't, I can't say something like, like I really like uh, Snyder's Justice League, uh, I I think the expectations being placed on it were unfair, and so it probably didn't perform the way they would have hoped because they had too high expectations. That's what I said, and that translates as me being anti-Snyder.
0: Yeah, you're a hater.
2: Ooh. Yeah, you know, Sorry. and it's like, how do you how do you cut through this sort of this? I mean, I and I've said this before. Uh, the the most vehement QAnon types. Mm-hmm there's like a Venn diagram where they overlap with the most vehement Snyder heads.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that sounds it's, right.
2: It's, you know, and and I want to emphasize most vehement, so I was, obviously it's not a reference to anybody who enjoys Snyder's movies, which I include myself in by the way. But yeah, yeah there's some really nutty people out there who it is literally their their entire their entire identity or certainly their entire online identity is that. And that's, yeah,
0: uh, that, that is helping. the weird thing to me is like, you go on Twitter and you see people who they have like in their bios, it's like associate producer of the Snyder cut. And, yeah. and they have like the restore the Snyderverse hashtag in their bio. And it literally is like their entire personality. And it's just, I, yeah, I, I like don't, I don't get where that comes from. I don't get where, how he inspired, so much fanaticism. That's that's weird to me.
1: Yeah, it's uh, like God. It, yeah, let yeah. just it's just a movie, guys. Maybe maybe you know, step away from the computer and go outside for a bit. Yeah,
0: touch grass, as t-
1: kids say. T- yeah, touch the grass, it's kids exactly. Yeah,
0: but oh, I mean, boy. but I. Like, Zachy, is, is there, where do you want to see, the, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe go from here? Is there something, like, you're dying to see as a comics fan that you haven't seen quite yet? Like, a, a certain character that you want to bring to it or a certain story you want to see adapted?
2: I mean, it's crazy how we're, we're at a point now where we got we got a Shang-Chi franchise. Mm-hmm. We got Moon mm-hmm. Knight. I mean, this is stuff, you know what I mean? Like, like I couldn't have even imagined this stuff when I was a kid, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Certainly, like Shang-Chi, you know, growing up, uh, Master of Kung Fu is one of my favorite comics ever. I still think it's one of the greatest books. Now now it's being retroactively called uh, racist. And, yeah. and I'm like so frustrated by that because I'm like, yes, Fu Manchu, no doubt. But like Shang-Chi, the character is a great character. He's a great example of Asian representation. Yeah. And it's very frustrating to me that that entire book is now being just like written off yeah super frustrating yeah that you know?
0: that is weird i i also i remember like when they were doing the iron fist series on netflix there was a certain segment of saying like oh well you know this character should be should be asian and i'm like but the comic character isn't asian <laughs> right. and i just thought well, yeah. it was weird that they automatically thought that because he's a because he's a martial arts master, he should be Asian. Because that, you know, that's a that's a
2: weird stereotypical thing. And I mean, yeah, and and when all of that was going on, I I'm sure you know it's it, the tweets are still there. I was like, no, you don't need to do that because Marvel has a martial artist who's Asian, and it's Shang Chi. Exactly. Do that. And so, <laughs> you know, so the fact that we got that movie, I was. Like this, is, I couldn't, have, this isn't even like, Oh, I've been waiting all my life for Shang-Chi in the movies. Cause I just never expected it would happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, they even, they even kind of figured out a way to incorporate the Mandarin who.
2: Yeah. They did such a great yeah. job with it. Tony long was great. Yeah. So, so my point is like, I'm at this point when it comes to MCU, I'm like, whatever they do, I'm excited to see it. I don't really have any expectations yeah. because uh, as far, you know, to me, Everything leading up to Endgame, up to and including Endgame, was like mind blowing, right? So mm-hmm. everything after that is just—it's just gravy to me. And Ooh. and I'm also like, you know, because because it's all building up to Secret Wars. I mean, I remember buying Secret Wars the the original comic off of the newsstand back in the mid '80s. Mm-hmm. And if you would have told me back then, like, you know, it's going to be a while, but this is this is going to be a movie one day. All these characters yeah. are going to be in there at some variation. I never would have believed it, right? I mean, so. I-
0: yeah, I really wonder what they're going to do with that, and how how they're going to do that. Because I mean, for starters, we no longer have Captain America or Iron Man, so that right there, that's a very different thing. And, yeah, and who knows what the what the character is going to be like? It's it's just wild how much the Marvel Cinematic Universe has expanded, and th- they've got so many characters and movies and projects now that it's it's tough to keep up with
1: it all. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, I know, like right now, like the the one, the few characters that people are really looking forward to, of course, uh, the X Men. Everybody's really looking forward to the Marvel X Men. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, and Doctor Doom. They haven't really done. I mean, they did Doctor Doom in that horrible, horrible uh, Fantastic Four film with Michael yeah. B. Jordan and Miles Teller. But like, uh, people really are thirsting for like a a well done Doom. And like, I, I would say yeah. those are the two characters that I'm I'm really looking forward to hopefully when yeah. Marvel, gets yeah. to Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I'm really looking forward to seeing a good version of the Fantastic Four uh, on, <laughs> on I mean, film. You. I mean, cause the X-Men too. Yes. I want to see what Marvel does with them, but we've, we've had some good X-Men movies already. So that's mm. not going to be quite as thrilling. I mean, it'll be neat to see like something maybe a little closer to the comics, but yep. yeah, we've had Fair lots enough. of X-Men movies. We haven't had a really good, fantastic four movie yet uh, as as i'm fond of saying they're over for four
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey-o. Uh, so yeah I'd, I'd really like to see that um i, I don't know if and, i want to let be me, john me... Krasinski and emily blunt but if that's who they judge as being the best possible reed and sue then sure i'll go with it
2: <laughs> i i also think it's you know we, we've got the she hulk show is on right now mm-hmm. And uh, you know, admittedly, I have not seen Moon Knight yet. I'll get to it at some point. Yeah, I haven't. I, haven't. I, I think, I, I and well, and I think we're at a point where certainly it feels to me a, as a comic reader what it was like in the in the '90s or whatever when you'd have all these big crossovers. And mm-hmm. like, I remember reading the Infinity Gauntlet comic and knowing who maybe half of those characters were. Yeah. You know, cool. and I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, what the hell's going on? I was just kind of. I read it and then I would delve into back issues to kind of get caught up. And I feel like that's where we're going to be at Right by the time we get to the Kang dynasty, by the time we get to secret wars, I, I have no idea how caught up I'll be, but I'm also like, well, I'm assuming there will be enough there for me to figure it out. And then if need be, and I think audiences will do the same, they'll go back and be like, Oh, I'm interested in, you know, she Hulk, what's her deal. And you go back and you got her whole origin there. It's on Disney plus check it out. You know, Mm -hmm. like it, it, I don't know how "quote unquote" essential it is, but it's there as the building blocks for the thing that you know people are going to watch. People are going to watch the Avengers movies, no matter who's in it.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And true. and the amazing thing is that they're care they're taking characters who have been B or C listers in the comics, and they're making them A listers in the movies, like like Iron Man or the Black Panther. I mean those those two characters. Uh-huh. I mean Black Panther. I don't think he ever had a book for very long maybe maybe a five-year chunk where he had a regular book and in the movies they make a great movie out of him and he makes a billion dollars that's incredible guardians
2: guardians of the galaxy yeah that's a better example even
0: (laughs) yeah i mean guardians of the galaxy that was obscure even by comic standards and you know i was like oh is this going to be the the, their first bomb and nope like
2: like if I'm I'm sitting here right now, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, I am Groot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got it. I got it from Macy's. I was thinking think about that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Macy's is selling shirts that say, I am Groot. No picture, no nothing. Right. It just says, I am Groot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and the general public knows what that's about. They know. Exactly. About. And Rocket <laughs> Raccoon made it to the movies before Wonder Woman did.
2: Amazing. amazing. Well, <laughs>
0: The, the geeks have truly inherited the earth. It's, it's pretty incredible.
2: And they still can't even
0: appreciate it. I know. We still find things to pitch about. <laughs> there, there really is no pleasing us. Yeah. You know, Everything's like, oh, amazing and no one's happy. Oh, Thor, Thor doesn't wear his helmet enough. Uh, you know? <laughs> oh, oh! Jen Walters handles anger better than Bruce Banner. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh,
1: anti-mend. Yeah. <laughs> why is why it got to be all woke in my in my in my comic book TV shows? It's just. Oh, it's uh, I I I just
0: I wish I had a function or uh, where I could just like reach through my computer screen and slap a few people <laughs> when I see somebody mm. being that stupid mm. <laughs> online.
1: Yes. Maybe in the future. We're not there yet.
0: Maybe in the future.
1: That'll, that's something to look forward to. But, uh, you know, if, right. if we had a real-life Tony Stark, he'd be working on that, I bet. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's all we got for the, the movie. Uh, any closing thoughts on the Iron Man and uh, this amazing film that still holds up and mm-hmm. was the linchpin of, uh, you know, what we know now as the MCU? This was the film that, like, was Robert Downey Jr.'s big comeback, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The fact that like he's now he's like remembered for this for this role and yeah I mean it's it's it's, it's, this is is like the first line of his
0: obituary I mean this is this is his trademark part I mean it's it's, yeah
2: it's and and the fact that it 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 is you know I was I was talking to my wife uh, just earlier today actually about there was a there was a a SNL Robert Smigel cartoon in the late nineties yeah. Uh, called called Downey Kidder and Haysch. Uh huh. Do you guys remember this? Oh, uh, I don't think I, I do. do. No. Yeah it the, it was it was it was one of those Smigel cartoons and the idea was like it's a detective agency with Robert Downey, Margot Kidder, and Anne Haysch. Okay. Uh, the joke, quote unquote, being that all three are just crazy pants. And they're winding up, you know, naked in other people's houses and doing all kinds of things. So they use that as a way to solve crimes. Oh wow! I don't oh, remember this I, one
0: at all. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean,
2: it. You talk about, you know, hashtag not aged well. Um, you know, Margot Kidder's gone. Anne Hae uh, just just recently left us. Yeah. You know, and and my, my point is, first, I don't, I, I didn't find it funny back then, but that's what Robert Downey was. He was a punchline. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there was a the time where people were doing that, where they'd make fun of people who had like yeah. problems problem with alcohol. I mean, wasn't that long ago when people were making punchline where like Lindley Lohan was the punchline of jokes, and uh, yeah, and, uh, and Amy Winehouse yeah was unfortunately yeah. the punchline. And I, I mean,
0: yeah. uh, I I saw in in the IMDb trivia this page. I was skimming it in preparation for today's episode, and <laughs> in in like the Ultimates page where. Uh, uh, Nick Fury is saying that Samuel L. Jackson should play him in the movie, apparently on that same page or in that same scene. He has a line where he says his nose has been smashed more than Robert Downey Jr. And wow. I'm just like, oh my God. wow, Yikes. wow. And, you know, RDJ has very likely read that and he's still <laughs> right. agreed to star in the movie. That's, that's wild because he, I mean, he his name used to be synonymous with like, Squandered potential and screw up in court cases and
2: stuff like that. If you live and, and by the way, when you think about it, you had like Robert Downey fought for this part. Yes, like he knew he knew this was going to be his ticket, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so and he fought like hell for it. When you can see his audition, he nailed it.
0: Yeah,
2: and. To see that pay off, right? Like, because so many actors are like, oh, this will be the thing, right? And it doesn't work out. But they like it, it paid off for him in every possible way. Yeah. And, and kids, kids look up to him. Yeah. He, you know, he, he's done these make a wish things. And you see, like, I always think about that. Like, he, he'll be known forever, like to a whole generation of kids, and it'll continue on, you know? Um, and it, it, it's so gratifying that that he he worked hard to to pull himself out of the spiral he was in, and and uh, you know he's on the other side of it, hopefully. And you know, and forever. he
0: succeeded so wildly that that stuff is now like the footnote in his career. Yeah, ex-
2: that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, yeah. like, there's probably a whole generation of moviegoers who who aren't even aware that he once upon a time had substance abuse problems. Cause that's so true. So that's how far he's put it behind him. And, and thankfully we'll uh, hopefully we'll continue to do so. I mean, cause I know Absolutely. you're never 100% rid of addiction. It's, it's like a everyday fight, but mm-hmm. I mean, if, if anyone can be said to put it past him, I would say Robert Downey Jr. Is that guy. So yeah. 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 And I mean, <laughs> I, I, going back to that burger king story i think he said like he threw his he threw his drugs away in the ocean and i'm and when i was reading that i was like i i couldn't help but flash on that scene at the end of iron man 3 where he's like throwing his old arc reactor into the ocean and i wonder if that (laughs) like came out of his life or maybe maybe. it's just a i don't think i don't know but i mean he's become so synonymous with the, the tony stark part i mean he basically is tony stark at this point Outside yeah. of like yeah. winning stuff,
1: yeah. No, when he passes away, the, the old bits are going to read Tony Stark. The newspaper is going to read Tony Stark passes away, yeah. And, and it's going to have a picture of RDJ, and yeah, it's going to confuse a lot of people. But that's what's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that's that's the episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always, uh, uh, Zaki. Thanks so much for being uh, on our little podcast here.
2: Oh, yeah. oh what a joy thanks thanks so much for having me I, I, <laughs> I just enjoyed chatting about this you know yeah that's always yeah.
0: it's always fun uh, talking movie stuff with you and you're welcome to come back anytime if you want to talk about another oh. rdj film or some other film that strikes your fancy you're, you're welcome anytime where can where that can people great. find you on on the interwebs?
2: Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at Zacky's Corner. That's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. And as you mentioned at the start, I write for the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, I got some film reviews up there currently and uh, some stuff coming up. And uh, the Movie Film Podcast, that's one word, Movie Film, uh, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, if you uh, do end up uh, ending up there after listening to this, please let me know that yeah. uh, that uh, the SNL nerd sent you. Yeah. Yeah. And you can yeah. follow uh, our uh,
0: shows on Twitter at SNL Nerds Show. You can follow our individual uh, Twitter and Instagram accounts. I'm at Trumble Comic. That's T R U M B U L L, and the word comic.
1: Darren, where can people I'm, find you? I'm at Darren Credible, D A R I N Credible, Twitter and Instagram. Mm hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and and you can also uh, follow
0: us uh, over at uh, nonproductive.com and uh, contribute to our Patreon over there. We appreciate that. That helps us keep the podcast going. And uh, yeah, please uh, give us a like and uh, rate and review on uh, Apple Podcasts or on the uh, podcast app of your choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, and as always, you could, like, maybe donate to our Patreon at mm-hmm. non-productive.com. You know, give us some money. Give us some dough. Help us, mm-hmm. help us, help us grow. Help us help you. Yes, and uh, we will be
0: back next week with another uh, cool thing relating to SNL. We don't know what that is quite yet, but we got some time to figure it out. So we'll be back next week. But until then,
2: nerds, nerds out. out.
0: This has been a non-productive media presentation